Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade film movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm Johnson, William Johnson, and I am recovering right now because apparently, I, I'm going to go on a little rant here just for a quick second. Uh-oh. I am very anti-TikTok. I hate TikTok. I think it's destroying oh. our society. But okay. there's a new TikTok trend going around where yeah. these, these young little whippersnappers, they decide to uh, come into a room while they're recording you. And then they tell you about one of your favorite actors dying and they get your reaction. <laughs> so my okay. daughter came in, came into my room about 10 minutes before we started recording and said, <laughs> oh, my God, Harrison Ford's dead at 80. And I went, what? And I like threw something <laughs> like at the wall. And then she's like, I'm just kidding. It's a TikTok trend. Um, so um yeah i'm still okay. trying to recover from from that right now because my heart is uh, palpitating uh, okay i thought harrison ford died 10 minutes ago so um <laughs> but that's that's where i'm at right now and uh but i'm okay i'll be all right i'll be okay yeah yeah meanwhile you could find co-host don shannon on tiktok at the handle of casablanca don oh, who's geez. having a great fucking time on tiktok so having some nice views getting some good numbers i'm having a blast so i approve um, of tiktok for that only yeah well i'll find a i'll find a person to make dead and and try that trick on somebody i just don't know who so yeah um ladies and gentlemen we're damn glad to have you folks this is all for tantrum's sake where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate in the end we encourage you all to love what you love but for now the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on this week we're talking about the 25th anniversary of the pierce Brosnan and james bond movie tomorrow never dies and it's been recommended to us by returning guest ben calmer from the phoenix critics circle and from the movie review website and the cinephiles podcast did i say that all right ben you did thanks for having me back guys oh well we're damn glad to have you as always and as usual Anything to kind of rub some things in on Will and put some Phoenix shine on this is going to be pretty good. So, our Anytime format you is. If you want to this. rub anything on me, I'm happy. See, <laughs> tis the season. <laughs> yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we're recording this on Christmas Eve Eve. So, we're all frosted up like crazy, let me tell you. So, our format is this uh, the recommending, well, our guests will go first as always, but uh, they will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise, state their how many kids for the film. Uh, will Johnson is going to come in second, do much of the same. This is a top four James Bond film for Will Johnson. I don't have it in the top four, but I don't hate it. But I have the hater slot where I will have five uninterrupted minutes of my own to present any counterpoints or a manner of intellectual scorch earth. It'll just be trivia and cute stuff and ha, huh? and my usual boner for Terry Hatcher. So it's going to be a good time. After that, we'll open it up for. 15 to 50 minutes of shared conversation where the hiss of it really gets chippy white knight to black rook let's go ben the floor is yours for five minutes keep your own time do your own thing i'll ding you when you're done thank you um it it, it this uh, die another day is an interesting conundrum for me uh it opened uh opposite titanic um we all know what a mammoth uh, film that was going to be. Uh, nobody really knew how well Bond was going to be able to stand up to um, to the likes of Jack's, Jack and Rose. Um, I don't want to bore the audience because that's not why they're here. But, uh, you know, speaking of Cameron, we have a certain um, Avatar film uh, circulating its way through theaters and percolating its way through uh, the box office. Anyway, um, Die Another Day is Pierce Brosnan's second James Bond turn, uh, largely set in uh, Germany and the Far East. Um, I actually... Now, do we stop and tell him that we're talking about Tomorrow Never Dies? Or do we just let him do this <laughs> Die Another Day thing? Yeah, I was just going to say, man, you're giving Die Another Day a lot of props right now. <laughs> I know. All right. So I'm going to pause the tape again. We're going to bounce it to you, Ben. Oh, leave this in. It's great. Oh, leave it in? Okay, no, Mitch, yeah, ignore not? what I said. You're just wasting your own time, Calmer. All right, good luck. Right. Back, to, back to our podcast on Octopussy. Oh, <laughs> or the uh, Woody Allen Casino Royale, right? Is that the other one uh, that does it? The David Niven? Both, I don't know who does that one. Yeah. Both of those films rate much higher for me than this does. Oh, my God. Then Tomorrow Never Dies? 
Yes. Oh, we've got a hater going first. Well, wow. then continue your minute, well, sir. Where my respect, <laughs> where my respect goes. Anyway, die. when uh, tomorrow never dies, forgive me, folks. I, I guess I haven't had enough sleep. Um, uh, too many tuxedos, too many martinis, and uh, too many women. Um, none of which, all of which, are a problem for me. Um, when Tomorrow Never Dies hit theaters, I found it to be troublesome and over, overly cartoonish. And um, I've actually turned my tune around in the last 25 years. But um, this film is set largely in Germany and largely in the Far East. Um, cinematography is a highlight. Um, uh, Michelle Yeoh is a highlight. Uh, the action is a highlight. But I, I think this movie suffers from an editing issue and uh, from a plot issue. And I still struggle with it today. That's my minute. Oh, well, you have, you have five minutes if you want to. I mean. Oh. Um, I'll let you guys go. <laughs> okay. Well, this is um, <clears throat> where my respect for you goes to die. Because um, <laughs> my love, but guess what? My love for you never dies. So we still have Aw, thank there. you. No problem. I got to say, man, I was looking up, uh, we'll start my five minutes. Don, keep an eye on for me because I don't have a timer in front of me. Um, I got to say, man, what a two weeks of cinema was December uh you know whatever i guess december 12th or something to to the 21st 1997 i mean th those two weeks were great scream 2 had come out the week prior to tomorrow never dies in titanic um and i remember seeing that it was one of my favorite film experiences seeing scream 2 because of all the hype from the first one and then i went and saw tomorrow never dies in titanic um uh, on a double bill uh i went to uh fashion square in scottsdale Back when they had the theater in the food court, uh, I saw Tomorrow Never Dies, which oddly has a ship sinking in the beginning. And then I went and saw Titanic. So it was a very long day at the movies. Um, but Tomorrow Never Dies, I mean, I, I obviously saw Titanic quite a bit, too. And I love Titanic. I think it's a fantastic film. It still is. Um, Tomorrow Never Dies really stuck with me. I, you know, I had not had a lot of Bond experience up to that point. I was 15 years old. Um, I maybe had seen a couple of things on TV, but Bond was really just not on my radar at all. And um, to see Tomorrow Never Dies, I just was blown away by the humor, the action, the style, the coolness of it all. You know, I had not even seen Goldeneye at that point. Uh, so, you know, to me, this was really kind of like my first Bond in a way. The first one I had seen in a theater for sure. The first one I had sat down and paid attention to, and um, and and maybe I have some rose-colored glasses because of that, because it was just such a special, seminal film experience for me to see this and fall in love with it. That you know, it became one of those things where I was like, I must consume all things Bond. Um, so yes, uh, Don had pointed out that you know at the beginning it's in my top four uh, when COVID was happening. Um, I decided I was going to do what we call the quarantine rewatch. This was obviously, you know, COVID was happening. Um, uh, no Time to Die had been pushed back at least twice at this point. And uh, I thought, you know what, let's catch up on the other Bond films. And uh, I watched them all pretty much in a row. Uh, at that point, 24 films, all, only the Eon produced ones. I did not, I did not count um, uh, Never Say Never Again or the... David Niven, Casino Royale in this mix. I did not watch the original Casino Royale with uh, Peter Lorre from the 50s on TV. I just watched the Eon-produced ones. And yeah, my top five ended up shaking out. Um, number one, The Living Daylights, because everyone knows I'm a big Timothy Dalton guy. Number two, Casino Royale. Number three, For Your Eyes Only. And then number four was Tomorrow Never Dies. It, it stayed with me. Um, does it have some issues? Absolutely it does. But... Uh, many people know me as a formula kind of guy. I like Marvel. I like film series. Um, I like uh, Lethal Weapon and how that had like a continuity to it. And I know that James Bond until the Daniel Craig era was not a big continuity thing, but I like the idea of sitting down for a movie and 
knowing what you're going to get in terms of like the beats and then seeing how they play on those beats. And to me, Tomorrow Never Dies became like the template for me of what the James Bond um, uh, template, I guess, is is supposed to be. Like what what is supposed to happen in a Bond movie? And um, I saw things that have maybe looked better, you know, uh, even Pierce Brosnan and GoldenEye. It's, it's a much better looking film. Um, I've seen a few, obviously, that I consider better than that. But um, to me, it's just it, it has amazing staying power. I like that even though it's very, you know, technologically driven, like, oh, this is uh, you know, this is a GPS. Like, you know, like, like we don't know what a GPS is. You know, my daughter who watched it with me was probably sitting there going like, what's the big freaking deal about GPS? But it's like at the time it was like GPS, you know. But, yeah, it's limited a little bit by the technology of its time, but that's kind of what Bond has always been about. Um, I still think it has it – it ended up being quite prophetic of, uh, if not social media, its presence in the world in terms of trying to be the first to get a story and trying to manipulate news sources. And it, it's almost like, you know, without trying to get too political on here, which will get us in trouble with two or three people, um, you know, it, it almost, in a way, almost – uh, predicted the Trump era of media in which you have the, what was Kellyanne Conway? What did she call it? The, uh, I can't remember the term she used exactly, but it was something about like, these are the alternative facts. That's what she used, alternative facts. And I, I, I like how this, even though this was the dawn of the internet, you know, 1997, this was predicting a whole new wave of, evil that we might have thought was a little goofy at the time, but now looks like, you know, probably one of the most realistic uh, bad guys we can imagine. So, I don't know. It the, the action still looks good. I do like the old-fashionedness of it, too. Like, watching it with my daughter, who's grown up on the modern-day blockbusters of today, it's a very different type of film. It, it feels very old-fashioned and, and stylistic in a different way, and and I like that. And uh, it still works for me. Uh, I'm not going to move it from number four. I can see it maybe bumping for your eyes only out if I'm in a certain mood. But uh, other than that, it's pretty solid on my list. I'm good to go. Well done, sir. Well done. No, I'm right there with Will. Um, I have a blast watching this movie. Um, you know how there's that scene in the movie Neighbors where um, Zach Efron and uh, Seth Rogen are hanging out outside smoking whatever they're smoking and uh, they they start talking about Batman and and how you know of course the young guy it's Christian Bale and then for Seth Rogen he's like Michael Keaton is my Batman you know Michael Keaton is Batman to me for me as a kid who was a teenager from 95 until Brosnan hung it up in 2002 you know or at least 20 something at that point Pierce Brosnan is my James Bond I just lo I love the guy um, I think in seeing all of the different incarnations uh, before him and after him, uh, he's he's my pick. He's the one I enjoy the most. I think he's the best of of both worlds from what you want. I think he is given enough um, fun action to do where he he's still a deadly guy. He's still a he could still be that killer, that agent, the the person, who, the man of action, so to speak. And then to me, he's the sexiest Bond they've ever had. Like no offense to Roger Moore's double entendres and and Sean Connery's slow burn Scottishness, but he is easily the most just for me the charismatic and most attractive James Bond they've ever had. And I just think that's a selling point for the character that gets dismissed a little bit when it comes to naming some of the best. Like, uh, no offense to Daniel Craig and his Cro-Magnon forehead, but, I mean, he just <laughs> – he's just – has he ever looked or been sexy? I, to me, his most sexiest role or at least take in James Bond was probably Spectre when he was Ben and Monica Bellucci. And, but uh, other than that, which is funny because Bellucci was auditioning for this movie, whatever, 20 years before him. Um, but, no, um, I know this movie is very dated – for its time it's very like you like will was saying it's very 97 you know media and internet and gps and the novelty of of, of upcoming technology and the the dinosaur era of the or the, the the yeah the extinct dinosaur era of the cold war where how much can you really make russia or china a villain but you still can twist waves where you do that i just enjoy this story i think that opening action scene of the fighter jet escape is is brilliant and awesome and as will said there's something to be said for practical effects and don't get me wrong there's still plenty of cgi and still a bunch of explosions but for the most part you you really have you know legit stunt work legit second unit stuff going on here where 
it just looks and feels like something that they actually pulled off in a thousand ways they pull it off. Whereas you're right today, this would be gimbals and green screen and, and not that they couldn't look good, not that it can't thrill you, but there's something just tangibly different when you get movies like this, that just put your, put the actors, put the stunt people out there and really show off what they can do physically. Um, you can, you know, put it together into different moments and craft it in ways that just makes it breathlessly exciting. Uh, I'm with Ben though, where, there's some editing things here where you're kind of you make some hop skips and jumps to some places where you're kind of stumbling through a little bit of shorthand here or a little bit of longhand here where it, there's some pace parts that just kind of don't go together or that can you like i think i remember the very beginning um mission brief was like you have 48 hours to figure this out this shit takes longer than 48 hours but um but i still have fun um i really admire this movie a ton for having a Bond girl that is a person of action and not just a piece of ass. And Michelle Yeoh is wonderful. This was likely my first, um, I'm almost positive, this is my first uh, introduction to Michelle and she was just fantastic. And I like that, you know, obviously romance is, is tipped into there a little bit uh, by the time you get to the end of the movie, but it's not the only reason why she's there. And that's, and I think that's just wonderful. Um, her physicality is awesome, you know, to be able to kind of do the things that she does. And I, her being a legit, you know, a striker and fighter trained person, it just plays well and looks great. Um, I am a huge Lois and Clark super uh, new adventures of Superman TV fan where Terry Hatcher. Oh my God, Terry Hatcher there's i've lost children to terry hatcher for, through different means and ways but she's just amazing to me um where i was going to watch anything spit water everywhere You're <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's called the cinephile history fit oh my but, uh, god yeah I, uh... <laughs> but no uh terry hatcher to me is just a fetching fantastic person i i like that they had a same thing you have a bond girl who's an ex-girlfriend i'm not sure if we've ever had that before um in many respects where that was just a nice way of quickening how fast you can kind of unfortunately put her into bed with pierce Brosnan as well but um you had me at terry hatcher um jonathan price is a, it's a really cool villain and again he is over the top every bond villain is but I, I did like the technology angle today. And rewatching it today, yes, it's very 1997. But um, there's something about just the genuineness of it, the fun of it, the cheekiness of it, the sexiness of it that I just, yeah, I love it to pieces. Um, I no problem rewatching, no problem putting it up higher. Uh, something tells me if I sit here and re rank some movies, I, I will be moving it up. Um, it's easily the second best movie of the Brosnan chunk. Where uh, Goldeneye is kind of always the one, but this one is is solid for me. Um, I know it drops off pretty quick after this one, but uh, I'm happy it's there. And yeah, I'll pour one out for Terry Hatcher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy a short announcement from the Ruminations Radio Network. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum, all things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out, but hurry. The killer's behind you. All right, welcome back, everybody. Yeah, so Ben, you used the shortest amount of time. Tell us a little bit more about uh, this this gruff and grief here a little bit. Well, you, you guys have me on the ropes, like Bond usually is, uh, because... Um, I, even though I'm hard on it, um, it, it wasn't the first Bond that I saw in the theater, uh, having grown up on Moore and Connery. Um, I knew something of, um, Pierce Brosnan from his Remington Steel days and, uh, what's generally not, uh, well, your audience might know, but for, for your benefits, uh, he was originally slated to uh, play the character starting all the way back in the early 80s. Um, uh, uh, he had uh, been talking to Cubby Broccoli since around 81, but ABC wasn't going to let him out of his Remington Steel contract, so uh, that paved the way for Moore to finish out the series and then move on to Dalton. Uh, and then in 95... We got, uh, I think the three of us agree, uh, the rather brilliant Goldeneye uh, <laughs> as a way to introduce uh, the reintroduce the character. It's funny we're sitting here talking twenty five years, twenty five plus years later about a soft or a hard reboot as fans clamor for Henry Cavill's departure <laughs> from um, uh, the DCEU. Um, 
And uh, this is probably the pinnacle of a film series to see um, actors inhabit the role, new mm-hmm. new actors. But um, all of all of this is a a long way of saying that uh, I I I didn't know Jonathan Price at the time. I knew yeah. the name. This is my first friend. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't seen many of his performances. And I found, um, you're, you're right, Don, each each Bond villain is over the top. But um, British cinema has a way of making over the top uh, seem not as overly voluminous when it comes to storytelling. Uh, as we might do here in American cinema, at least to me. Um, and so when when he he came up on the screen, I think it was in Hamburg uh, early in the film when he's uh, he's got the conference call on the video wall go, uh, going on um, and the camera is just zoomed into his face, his face fully frames the image uh, mm-hmm. that uh, um, He's menacing and threatening in a different way. Um, yeah. Today, you you could probably get away with saying that um, uh, Elon Musk esque ness of the character shines through uh, because he's bigger than life, and you're questioning what his motives truly are. Yeah. Um, but uh, it 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 struck me as being overly cartoonish, especially after the grandiose opening. Yeah, uh, each each pre-title sequence that precedes this one is is bigger than life. The stunts are amazing. The effects are uh, it's what what uh, I'm I'm with Will. It's what draws you into the movie. And if you haven't seen Bond, this is as good an entry as any. Um, uh, that's going to pull you in, but um, uh, I don't like being a backseat driver, so I'm not going to steal all thunder. <laughs> um, uh, that's, that's a layered reference because that's the name of the track. Yes, yeah, I believe when he's controlling the car from the backseat. Yes, um, on the soundtrack. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh. Uh, it was also the the one liner quip that uh, Brosnan delivers after he uh, unceremoniously ejects the uh, the uh, pilot who's trying to murder him at the beginning of the film before the titles roll. Yep. Um, and uh, it it's it's just one of those things where I thought so very highly of Goldeneye and Brosnan mm-hmm. had made such an impression that it was questionable to me why they would choose to do a techno-thriller-esque type story. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things that uh, even today, all these 25 years later, that I still fondly remember is that uh, it made the the way this movie, Roger Spottiswood um, shot this movie, uh, the way it looks, um, it, it, it is still modern. Um, and it, it gives, um, it, it offers Pierce Brosnan's take a double-edged sword, one that is both lethal and, um, charming while at the same time being, um, more experienced than he might've been, uh, he might've come across in Goldeneye. Um, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I discovered when I posted this on Facebook for its anniversary is that, uh, MGM actually commissioned the film based on audience reaction to the teaser for Goldeneye back in 95. I read that too, that they, like even before Goldeneye, they were like, Oh, ready for the sequel. Let's go. But that also led to, uh, sorry, it also led to some of what I think troubles me that they had too much time to put the story together. And then as, as often happens in Hollywood, um, uh, because they were given too much time, they really couldn't, um, 
get a story together that everybody liked. So they yeah, went into pre-production too. without one and uh, they formulated one fairly quickly, which um, at the very least still stands the test of time for me. I think it's it's turned the tide over yeah. the years. It's It's not my bottom film, but I still struggle with it. Yeah. The fun part, the other bad thing about the um, incomplete script in terms of a shooting script is that what I'm reading here is uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins was originally cast as Elliot Carver, but he walked away three days into the production because there was no completed script and it was so chaotic. He ended up going on to follow GoldenEye director um, Martin Campbell to do Mask of Zorro instead. And yeah. look how that turned out, which was wonderful. I love that movie to pieces. But no, um, this does seem... I'm sure there's a too many cooks in the kitchen thing or just the uh, what do we do with GoldenEye and what do we do with the success that brings this here? And yet it does seem like and they they kind of you can see the reactionary things where they were saying fans that they, they were saying fans thought there wasn't enough gadgets in GoldenEye. So now there's a ton of gadgets in this one. And and, you know, you already did a tank thing. So you have to do something different. You do a motorcycle thing instead. And um, it's it. Yeah, you can see where there's some cocktail napkins stitched together in this movie. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm with Will. It's just a lot of fun. Will, what do you think? Well, um, the, the problem, the problem I think people might have with it, too, is GoldenEye was, unlike a lot of Bond films, was a very personal story. You know, um, you know, it ends on a great, you know, for England, no, for me. You know, like it was a very, like the villain was very personal to the hero. Yeah. And so this is the kind of the first time we've seen Brosnan, well, literally the first time we've seen Brosnan as kind of the regular agent kind of guy. Like, you know, he's just right. on another mission. And I think there is a little bit of a, I'm not going to, it doesn't affect my enjoyment of the film, but I think there mm-hmm. is a little bit of a, what do you want to call it? Um, not a downgrade, but just a little bit of a letdown in terms of you're going from the high emotional stakes of the villain in the first one to just another guy in this yeah. one. So I can see how dramatically that might be a little bit of a, I see what you mean. Know, a little, little bit of a punch in the gut. Like I said, I don't, I don't necessarily mind that, but I can see coming off it. Plus Martin Campbell, I think is, an incredible director, very underrated. And, you know, Goldeneye had a different, a very different look to it. You know, um, it just had this uh, shine to it that I, I think very few Bond films actually have. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, tar- that's hard to replicate as well, because this definitely does have that. Like I said, I don't mind, but that formula feel to it where it's, it's kind of, you know, it doesn't have kind of the grandiose levels or the fantastical elements and locations that Goldeneye did. Yeah. So I can see that. But, you know, when I think back of the, the staples of what a Bond film is at the time, I mean, you know, some of the stuff that is great, I think I put in my original review during the COVID rewatch that this one kind of has that built-in, you know, Roger Moore feel to it in which, you know, he just feels as great as GoldenEye is, there is that soft reboot element to it where you're, you're mm-hmm. kind of being introduced to the character. This one is like, oh, this is the guy. This would have been like episode 80 of a television series. You're kind of yeah. Yeah. in the know. You know how this character is. He's very relaxed. And I, I like that. I like that kind of fact. That's why, like, um, like, for me, like, one of my favorite film series is the Lethal Weapon series. Like, are the first two films superior as films to three and four? Yes, but three and four are sometimes more enjoyable to watch because of that comfort level of how right in the characters feel like, you know, I you, agree. you're in that universe, you know? So that's why yeah. I kind of favor this one a little bit because I feel like I'm putting on a nice comfy sweater. I'm kind of like, this is a bond film. And this is something I've been really struggling. I know uh, Ben is definitely going to disagree with me on this one, but my main issues with the Craig films has been that lack of, because they wanted to connect the stories throughout all five of the films, there has been that lack of like, I just kind of want to see Daniel Craig on a normal adventure like this one, you know, like where it's not connected to a prior girlfriend that he lost or, you know, the Spectre Spectre Syndicate or Quantum or whatever the hell you want to call it. You know, it's not all connected. Like I, I do kind of miss in a way, and Ben is also a fellow Star Trek nerd like me, like, I, I find the value in episodic storytelling. I kind of miss that a little bit. And that's why I was, that's why after Casino Royale, I was always gr- 
trying to find that Tomorrow Never Dies from the Craigverse. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have Skyfall as my number six. You know, Casino Royale is my number two. So, I mean, obviously great films, but um, I've, I've, I just miss this era of Bond where it's, it feels episodic, but also it's on such a big scale. You know, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's just that's something I, I really miss. Well, one one of the things, sorry, Don, one of the things no, that I, I think um, one of the reasons why I think you struggle with the Craig era is because the Bond franchise so badly wanted to use Spectre as a moniker and legally they couldn't, um, right. which is right. why they were trying, trying to string concepts together um, yeah. and connect everything. But they were also playing to um uh i think they were being fortuitous in uh responding to george lucas's world building and what the what the future of marvel would bring us um i too miss the episodic nature uh but i think they managed to achieve that with the crag entries um that that is the one thing that uh i i can definitely say for um the Brosnan era that it is truly episodic. You get some uh some highs and some lows. My sure. highs are going to be different from yours, uh, I think. Um but the other thing that I, I think the production had to contend with was the loss of Cubby Broccoli, who died in between um Gold mm-hmm. Nye and mm-hmm. uh Tomorrow Never Dies. And um I, for whatever reason, remember seeing that title card come up at the end, uh, before the end credits started rolling, and Katie Lang's beautiful uh, Surrender song, um, which I still think is a stronger song than the song that we get to open it. Um, But um, uh, I saw the title card pop up uh, uh, for Cubby or something to that effect, and um i had you know we were not uh, i was in college at the time and uh we did not have the world wide web and uh, we didn't have net we didn't yet have netscape or google or any of the things that the tools that we can use today at our fingertips um uh that um that would have told me that cubby broccoli had died um, I knew he wasn't in good health, but somehow I had missed that. And it kind of hit me uh, and it kind of struck me. Um, bl- it blindsided me, actually, as a, as a fan of the series. But um, I know with uh, Barbara and Michael that uh, the series was and is in good hands. Um, you know, I'm I'm probably being harder on it than I have a right to be. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, after I saw this, I, I eventually found some of Jonathan Price's older films. Um, you know, I, I have to give my hand up to Michelle Yeoh, who, like um, Don, uh, this was my first exposure to her. And um, me too. Me too. I, I'm not I'm not being misogynistic when I say this. Um I think I think it threw me for a curve because like the character because I wasn't expecting it, but if you really look at the way uh Michelle Yeoh's character is portrayed in the film, uh Waylon, um that um uh she is an equal to Bond and um, I, I'm not trying to be misogynistic when I, I say that the, what, um, 20, 20 year old in me didn't much care for that. Um, mm-hmm. because, um, Pierce is a very strong actor. The character is very grounded. Uh, as I've gotten older, I've realized that the character had to change. And, um, even though I, still don't care for the movie very much. Um, and, and my attitude about it has changed as technology has evolved over 25 years. Um, it was an appropriate choice uh, to affect the character. And uh, Michelle Yeoh is one of our preeminent um, 
actresses here in, in Hollywood. Uh, she made a splash in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon a couple of years later. And this year, Everything Everywhere All at Once, um, which uh, uh, I, I, I hold in high esteem. Um, Terry Hatcher, I'm still not convinced that they could have written the story without the character and have been able to move it along a little bit more efficiently. Um, mm. It certainly ties back to Carver and gives Bond that personal edge. Um, I like Gotts Auto as Carver's henchman. Uh, Vincent Schiavelli, uh, I, I, I think that's probably my favorite scene, is the hotel room with Vincent Schiavelli's uh, uh, <laughs> as a character. character. <laughs> well, you um, know, that's one of those that feels like on a cocktail napkin, though. Like, what is Vincent Scavelli yeah. showing up in here? You know? Yeah, like, but I, I'll, I'll actually, I actually want to talk about that too when you're done, Ben, about that scene in particular. But go ahead. Yeah. But it, but it also leads to what I think is probably one of the um, modern Bond era technological moments, and that is that you they introduce a BMW sedan, uh, a very high end BMW sedan. Uh, that can be remotely driven by a phone, um, mm-hmm. a flip phone of all things, right? Um, one that can emit an, an electric charge that uh, can throw enough volts to kill or at least disable a menacing villain. Um, but the way that that sequence is shot, that's the one thing that I have to say for the movie that still draws me back in, besides Brosnan. And now Price as uh, a rather lip-smacking, delicious, uh, cartoonish villain that, in from today's society, absolutely works. Um, mm-hmm. And and that is that um, that uh, chase through the car park um, is just absolutely well shot. Uh, you know, you've you've got the halo jump uh, towards the beginning of the third act. Um, which I also think is is really well shot. Joe Don Baker pops his head in as uh, his as Bond's CIA contact uh, Wade. I don't think their interaction was as good as it was in Goldeneye. Yeah, uh, yeah. But but yeah. it was he, nice. He's to there see just for fun. Yeah. Char- yeah, it was nice to see those recurring characters pop up. I think a um, fun thing about the cinematography before I pass it back to Will here is um, this is Robert Ellsworth, the guy who would go on to do most of PTA's films so and win an Oscar for There Will Be Blood. So I do feel like camera-wise, they, they did some, some grand work here for sure. Lo- yes. For me, it's the, the motorcycle chase through, yeah. through uh, well, it's Bangkok pretending to be Saigon, but it's awesome. I just love the way they put that together. Uh, Will, where were you going before? Before I talk about Michelle Yeoh, um, I do... I do want to say that, yeah, this film, a couple of technical things. Uh, the score is phenomenal. David Arnold oh, yeah. is oh, so good. Yes. This is like, a, you know, when I put this in my top four, I mean, some of the reasons why is because uh, the score is excellent. Like, you know, the, the film is fun. Uh, the only thing I will say about the action that is bad, uh, because in the last couple of years, I've kind of become entrenched in the Hong Kong cinema you know, milieu, so to speak. Uh, as many of you know, we did a live show on Police Story, and I, I, you know, you can't go into Jackie Chan's filmography without, you know, going into Michelle Yeoh's because, you know, she's kind of legendarily was in Super Cop, which is Police Story 3, in which she basically told Jackie Chan, whatever you can do, I can do better. And they decided to have that fight <laughs> during the filming and would just escalate with the stunts. I will say the fight, the the actual kung fu fighting in this movie is atrocious uh, compared to what I've seen. From the, that is definitely them. That is definitely the filmmakers going like, "Well, we have a we have a martial arts expert. Let's try to put them um, in an action scene. Put her well, in an tricky, action scene, throwing it off." But it's really the, bad. The tricky <laughs> so, thing is they would. The tricky thing is they wouldn't let her do most of her own stunts because of insurance and trouble. I read where. Yeah. They, yeah, they yeah. double her and they had to bring in like Jackie Chan's team because no one was like, I, I read that she's like a direct strike kind of person where yeah. no one, no one was willing to take her punches. So they had to bring in like Jackie Chan's team and, but half ass it with like doubles and 
lesser work to not risk things, which was silly. Well, that was the and, funny thing too, because I because I've watched uh, thirty six Jackie Chan films this year. So when I was watching the scene in which she's fighting the men in uh, in her little secret lair, yeah. Um, I was like, oh, that's, those are the guys I've seen in 45 Jackie Chan movies this year. Like, I, I recognized the stuntmen. It was pretty It was pretty cool. But, yeah, there, there definitely is – and this is a problem that – I talk about this in our podcast, Police Story. This is kind of the problem they have in America with Kung Fu is they really just don't know how to shoot it. Like, they, well, and, 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 that, and, that's, and that's the interesting thing for me. They shot all of her Kung Fu action-esque sequences – in very tight quarters. They didn't right. give her the room to move and or the character to move. And I wonder if that um uh that pulled back its effectiveness. Yeah, they they doubled oh, her. That's the problem that yeah. Jackie Chan had with things like Rush Hour and yep. uh Shanghai Noon and stuff, is that the, the camera mm-hmm. was doing it in cuts. It yeah, was showing right. It was showing one fluid motion, but in three different angles. Whereas Jackie Chan, who I don't think gets a lot of credit as a great director, knew how to do it in wide and show you that it's more impressive to see the whole thing. And that's oh, the same yeah. thing with this one. Is like Michelle Yeoh, unfortunately, is reduced to just a couple of high kicks in this one, where she is actually right. a trained dancer. Mm-hmm. She's this brilliant athlete, and you know you. You get someone who understands the craft like an Ang Lee, and that's why she was made such a big impression. I think maybe more so than in Tomorrow Never Dies with the in uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, is because you had someone who understood the language of martial arts and could show the prowess that she really has, which is also really impressive because she spent most of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon with a torn ACL and was still doing all that stuff. But um, mm-hmm. and I also like it's so high on my list because Michelle Yeoh is my favorite Bond girl. Um, I get a lot of weird looks when I say that, but um, I, I don't want to say like I was ahead a on the Michelle Yeoh train, but you know, as teenagers, we were kind of, we were expecting, uh, and I, I kind of want to avoid the misogyny part of it, but like, yeah, we kind of expected as an audience, a more quote unquote traditional beauty for that role. Oh, like I look I'll at just it now. It. And I, I'll yeah, just say it. People it. were expecting a piece of ass. I'll just right. say it and like I, that. Don't get me wrong now. Like, I look at it now and I look at Michelle Yeoh and I'm just like, holy shit, this is like my kind of woman. But, you know, when I was 15, I didn't quite have that that taste yet. You know, that mature taste yet to understand that, like, women come in many different packages. You know, like, I was expecting the, like I said, and they, and they also, this is the mistake they made. I have nothing against Halle Berry, like, physically or anything. But sure, what they did in Die Another Day was uh, they tried to make this super sexy equal action hero jinx to Pierce Brosnan and they focused on all the wrong elements like i said Halle Berry fine okay actress and a very beautiful mm-hmm. woman but like they didn't get the point like Michelle Yeoh has that aura of sexiness but not like by having to show skin and and be quote unquote like a traditional female role in a movie like she embodies something different you know that like she can carry herself a certain way where you're just like just her essence itself is sexy you know without it drawing attention to itself you know there's there's a scene in the movie there's a scene in the movie where i think she i think pierce brosnan is me as the audience is you know he's looking at all the guns in her secret hideout and he (laughs) just has this moment where he just stares at her while she's typing on the computer it's a very simple shot but it's he mm-hmm. looks at her and, he, and suddenly he's like, "Holy shit, that's Michelle Yeoh," and that's what I think too. I'm just sitting there going, "Yeah, I'm falling in love with this woman too." Like it's really easy. <laughs> it's really easy to do. So I'll shout out to Michelle Yeoh, and I'm so happy she's getting the, you know, recognition she's getting now. I think it's really hard for actors of many races, but you know, it is hard for action stars that have the chops to really um, get that second look. And I'm glad that even in yeah. her later life right now with everything everywhere all at once, you know, we're, you know, it's been a long time every now and then there's an Oscar thing where I'm rooting for it to win, you know? Uh, and I get happy if it, it gets nominated or wins. I mean, sometimes it doesn't matter, but this is one of those ones where I'm watching this year and I'm just like, Oh yeah, Michelle, yo man, get that Oscar. Like I want her to yeah. win so bad. And it's, 
And it's because I think she went decades unappreciated for agreed stuff that she's done. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that she's been able to get roles that don't require her to show off the action stuff like last Christmas and crazy rich Asians where she's a fantastic, just actress, let alone what she could do physically. And it's just nice to see, you know, parts that you know her getting roles that uh that showcase what she can do and even this one um i know it's stunt person and and secret agent first but she is shown to have whatever you want to call it agency and intelligence and whatnot in in this movie so i mean it's despite the very misogynistic brosnan who is gonna you know bed whatever he wants and make great jokes along the way i mean the danish professor earlier on in the movie i love it you know so yeah like he, he there's a balance he she balances what, like you said, the the antiquated expectations that normally were there. Yes. Well, she brings, she also brings this amazing, like it's very rare for actors to have this, but they bring like a dignified air to them that just raises the quality. I like the way of, you put that. Um, yeah, because, I like, like the way for, you put that. For instance, I mean, you know me, I, I love Shang Chi. I think it's a great movie, regardless. But you can tell when she enters the picture. It goes up uh-huh. a notch because you're just like, oh shit, Michelle Yeoh's here. You know what I mean? Like you're like, oh crap, like this. Now we're getting serious. Like now we're getting the prestige element. You know, like she just brings something. You know, she just has that it quality and just brings it to a production mm-hmm. that makes it more valid. I guess you know. I do. How old was she when she did this one? Because not to say she's showing age. I mean, of course she shows age. I mean, she's got to be pushing sixty now, but. What was she when this came out? She like, was born she in '62, so 92 would make her 30. Well, 30. Yeah, she's so. probably 32 when she shot this, probably 32, 30, 33, somewhere around yeah. there. Yeah, somewhere yeah. around there. Sa- same as Hatcher. Hatcher's was 32 and pregnant when she made this movie, so they yeah. had to scurry through her scenes quickly and not show her belly. I, real, real quick, before I forget, because we were talking about this before, we were talking about Vincent. Uh, how do you say it, Vincent Schiavelli? Schiavelli. Yeah. Um, I think I think that scene with him <laughs> is a perfect embodiment of the Brosnan era. And I want to get your guys' yeah. opinion on this because the thing about Brosnan that I find really interesting. Now, I, I am drawn a little bit more to the rugged Bonds. Like, Timothy Dalton's my favorite. Okay. I mean, he's a little yeah. – he's not humorless, but he's a little bit more man of action. He is a little bit more mm-hmm. down and dirty, you know? And I like that a little right. bit. That's why I love Casino Royale as well because I think Daniel Craig is more – brawn than brains i kind of do like that in a bond what i will say about brosnan and and you can see this in everyone you can see this in goldeneye tomorrow never dies and even the lesser entries of his of his run he has moments of pure goofiness right like he spouts a one-liner that's Uh you know a little bit on the edge where you're like yeah this is getting bad (laughs) But but then he will have these really um these moments of intensity that are oh, yeah. hard to explain. And why, why I mentioned that scene with Vincent Schiavelli is because it goes from a comedic scene where you kind of know Bond's going to get him over. Uh-huh. But then it turns to like, he puts the gun on the guy and he goes, I'm oh, just yeah. a professional doing a job. And he's like, so am I. Bang. Kills him. You're damn and you're right. Like, and yeah. I remember whenever I would watch that with someone, like I watched that with my mom or something, she'd be like, oh my God, did that just happen? And it's like, <laughs> it's such a tonal shift. I mean, he does that in um, The World Is Not Enough. There's a moment when um, uh, Sophie Marceau's character dies. Yeah. And yes. He, he gives like the dead body like a kiss, like, oh, oh my yeah. God, like you're, you're gone. And, and it, it, he brings this like weird intent, not weird, but he just brings this intensity that you know, gives you this, this balance. Like, yeah, he's a, you almost get the, you almost get the feeling that he's making jokes and puns Uh to offset like some kind of deep depression or something, because he does have in this movie too. There's also that moment before Paris comes to the hotel where he's drinking and he's got that. that where He's just kind of sitting on the desk, like Michael Corleone, you know, and he's got the gun Uh next to his just drinking and he's he looks angry yeah you know, and i think he, that's all brosnan you know yeah, because he, he um yeah, really it, good. It is. he plays it so well that balance of intensity yeah. versus goofiness i it takes a really good actor to do that and he's got it's fascinating for me 
Yeah, like I, 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 it's it's a weird way to say this, and I'll, I'll take the Will Johnson seat of the weirdness of, of relations and tones and things. But like, he's like the polar opposite end to like Eugene Levy, and I say this with like the idea of like eyebrows. Like Eugene Levy, it's the caterpillars; they work for him. They're enormous. It's kind of his thing, right? And he uses yeah. them to to uh, incredible effects of mostly comedic things. But like, you, like he could convey emotions just with with a little hair raise with his big caterpillars but brosnan i'm with you we're like it's in his eyes man i don't know how he does it because he has that certain squint when he's joking and being funny but then he has and it, i feel like it's a millimeters of difference but he has that squint where like you said he's angry he's drinking the vodka he's gonna put the gun in somebody's face and pull the trigger like he just has it in his eyes i don't know how he does it but he's just brilliant and i don't see that or there's there's enough variation especially with the way the character is portrayed where i don't i don't see that same thing in more and i don't see that as much in craig craig's always craig's always fucking scowling but um but like connery connery could get there a little bit dalton was great at it but brazen just i don't know the best of both worlds it's i love it and can we agree that pierce brazen has the best um chemistry and relationship with desmond llewellyn who plays q oh yes like yeah absolutely all, all yeah. those movies i i just relish that scene with them in each movie you know because yeah. i'm just like it's, oh man they are so good together he just knows how to do it with him like just sell uh, that relationship you know i i, I there's I, um I there's a deleted scene speaking of that where um when they do the car introduction coming out of the box right um i don't know if you notice in the full movie next door there's like a jaguar in a cage um yes. that was also oh, in the there that was also in a box and that that scene i saw in the deleted scenes today um the scene is shortened to something that it was the only thing they cut of llewellyn in the movie roger spottiswood said where um they go they open that box first uh, and there's like a dumb joke about a Jaguar, you know, cause it was, you know, it was gonna be a car thing. He's like, not the Jaguar I'm looking for, you know, like that kind of thing, you know, like, and yeah, just Brosnan and Llewellyn just busting each other's balls in the cheekiest way. For, uh, I, I remember seeing that deleted scene and, and laughing out loud. It would have played, but I think it would have been too long in the teeth in, in terms yeah, yeah. of pacing. But for me, um, Brosnan, I think brings together the lethality at the risk of repeating myself, the lethality and coldness of Connery um, and the Cold War-esque nature of those movies with Moore's larger-than-life, um, not, not buffoonery. It's not buffoonery. <laughs> Libido? It, it, yeah, 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 yeah. His, his, his libido. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Well, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say that. Like, I gotta be a little bit of a more defender here because I, I think it, it has a little bit of the William Shatner effect. Where oh, uh, oh, absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, actually, yeah, more is a blast, but yeah, the but range is just as, not. Yeah, he's not as like clown shoe as everyone says he is like he he actually <laughs> i don't like, know man he did dress up as a clown in one movie no, no, no. well that's i mean that was towards <laughs> the end but like when i look at like my top 10 i mean i've got let's see one two three three of the top 10 i've got roger moore films in there he had his moments i'm just gonna defend more a little bit i don't think no, he's he did he did joke. i think yeah, towards the you. end yes you when you're in a gorilla suit for christ's sake yeah you're gonna be a joke but <laughs> You know, yeah. that that was more of the direction the movie was going than anything else. Yeah. But um, uh, but uh, I got to defend more a little bit. I, I think, you know, okay. uh, sometimes, I mean, for your eyes only, like I said, number three for me, Live and Let Die, I think is an amazing film with him. Yeah. And it's why I love me. It's just so freaking good. It's it's yeah. Mm -hmm. So Well, with um, with for your eyes only, there's that one moment before uh, more uh, pushes the car over the side of the, the cliff. Right. Uh -huh. And uh, in the behind the scenes um, interviews, uh, if I remember right, he uh, he was a deeply religious individual and uh -huh. um, he personally had um, scruples about doing this particular moment for the character. But when he yep. actually does it, it comes off on camera so exceptionally well because... Um, 
because it's so distant and because he throws it off with a quip. And that's what we get with Brosnan. And uh, Brosnan, even, even, um, even when the movie doesn't serve Brosnan, Brosnan is still serving the movie. Mm. And, and um, well said. I, I, think, I think that's ultimately what makes his four entries work um some better than others and i you know i i I have i I have different highs than lows uh from from you guys but um you know i i don't i don't think tomorrow never dies is as much of a low for me as it was when it first came out sure that that comes down to your experience with it too you were you're definitely a little more experienced bond guy than i was at least i don't know about don but you know uh yeah, I, I my but, mother my mother adored the character where I these were movies that were either VHS taped or watched at home where this was uh, also Bond movies were and still are events where this was I there's a good chance I you know even as a college freshman at 9 you know 18 19 I probably went home and saw this with my mom cuz she was like we're going to go see this movie when it comes out can't wait well, you know I, so. I, I, I she loved this. Remington Steel, where she her hard on for Bronson was equal to my hard on for Hatcher. So, this was, <laughs> yeah, this was um, tied with Jurassic Park and Mr. Baseball of all movies for some reason. For the most <laughs> the most times I've seen a movie in the theater, I saw this seven times in the theater. Damn, yeah. oh, what's the yeah. what's my mo- Twister? I think I saw Twister. I, I saw I hit Twister. Six with Twister. Five. I got five with Twister. Yeah. I think four or five. But um, yeah, it's, I mean Titanic no, this, was a four or I was, five. And, I was chasing that Bond feeling because, like, like I said, sure. it, it really changed my view. And what I would do is, I remember um, my mom's best friend, Mrs. Russell. You know, Kathy Russell. Thank God she's still alive. Thank you. She one time she said, "Here you go." She came over to my house to see my mom, and she dropped those. This is back when they had the cassettes. Um, yeah. Like, the at the time, I mean, what was uh, – Tomorrow Never Dies was, what, number 19 or 20? Something like No, no, no. It 18. was 18. 18. 18. Yep. So there was, at that point, 17 VHSs of previous mm-hmm. films. And she yeah. just dropped them at my door and said, enjoy. And I remember – Every weekend, you know, like I'd stay, I'd sleep on the couch, watch two Bond films a day. And so I would watch all these Bond films and then go back to Tomorrow Never Dies to get the references and get that feeling. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I mean, and, and also that's that's the other thing. I was looking at the box office for this. So it did it fine. The same week, it opened the same week as Titanic. Yeah. Titanic made 28 million. If you can believe this, Titanic made 28 yes. million its first weekend and Tomorrow Never Dies made 25. So they were like yeah. neck and neck. They were neck and neck. It's just hilarious that, you know, um, I, I think I was reading that Tomorrow Never Dies ended up making a little bit less than GoldenEye, so people were, uh-huh. you know, whatever. But it's just, it's just funny that it, it almost opened, it almost beat Titanic on its opening weekend, which is yeah. funny because obviously Titanic would stay in the theaters for like 10 more months. Oh, the, the legs of that was unprecedented, yeah. <laughs> Whereas like Tomorrow Never Dies kind of disappeared, and, and I, I remember buying it immediately on VHS. I still have the VHS Same. copy, and... Um, I still have my yeah, DVD. I, nice. I have the I have that Bond fifty Blu-ray box that came out yeah. right around Skyfall. I have yeah. that fine china and I love it. So yeah. It this this was um this was actually uh one of the first three, if I remember right, DVDs that MGM released in ninety eight yes. at the dawn of the format. Yeah. And mm-hmm. MGM experimented with the what eventually became the special editions um and the david arnold uh track is yeah they have isolated score yeah yeah um it was the it was one of the first movies that i can remember having an isolated score and there are times where i'll put that dvd on and uh forgive me la la land because they released um uh, a remastered soundtrack uh at the mm-hmm. beginning of the month on cd um but there's okay. something about this film that when you isolate the score and let the visuals play, yes, uh, it tells a uh-huh. different story, but it, it's just such a cathartic experience. Yeah, And just a, a mash of old and new. Like, I mean, yeah. all that brassy bondness is there and then still John brings a techno vibe. You know, it's, it's, yeah, a, perfect, he, it's a perfect I, step forward for the era. I, Great. I feel like Arnold was like... 
you know, well, first of all, I had the CD for this. Like, I would play it all the time. I'd play it at night. I'd play it in my like my car. I'd drive my parents crazy because I was I was only fifteen, so they were driving me. And I'd put it on. Like, I probably listened to the soundtrack so freaking much. Um, and for whatever reason, like, I, did you say that they just released a remastered thing of the soundtrack for this one, or were you talking about La La Land? Yes. From La La Land Records. Records. Oh, from, sorry. Oh, okay. Because when you mentioned La La Land, I immediately black out and not not I the movie. Because <laughs> yeah, that, that, label. Movie, that yeah. movie's terrible. But um, yeah. But uh, okay. So there is a new. I need to get it because yeah. mm-hmm. for whatever reason, this and the Living Daylights. Living Daylights is my favorite score. Yes. And it's my favorite Bond song. Uh, for whatever reason, like they, I don't know if it's a rights thing or like. Because I I primarily use Spotify now, like a lot of people do. Um, these soundtracks just are not there, or they're there but they're not available yet. Or, and I miss it because I would still listen to this. I would still listen to Tomorrow Never Dies every day if I could. Because I, I just think the it's score so is so impactful. Yeah. And David Arnold is such a. I, I feel like he was a Bond. Like I don't know much about him. Uh, his score for Casino Royale is amazing too. Yeah. But. Um, yeah. Oh, even, like, even Independence Day, the year before this, just fine, you know? Yeah, I, I feel like he maybe grew up watching these films. I, I don't know how old he is, but I feel like he was like a fan and was like, I'm going to make my own thing, but I'm also going to honor the past, you know, like, because it does have John Barry elements to it, Oh, yeah, but totally. it's very distinctively his own too, yeah. you know, like it's, it's, yeah. it's a wonderful, that White Knight track, yeah, it was like an eight track. track on the yeah. CD, that opening yeah. bit, like you could, I would jam that on my stereo, man, because it has mm-hmm. everything in it. It has like the emotions and the, yeah. oh, it's just such a just, great score. Amazing it is score. the slow, the slow opening, the, the elements of suspense, the action, the crescendo, that eight minute track is chef yeah. kiss. That, that's, that's car driving music right there. My, yeah. I tell you what, my, clo- my, my closing thought, I got to mention, I don't mind one bit Cheryl Crow's, husky opening song one bit and the opening credit sequence with the see-through plastics and the, and the visuals that go with it i i really enjoyed it especially watching it today yeah it's not as flashy as you could do with today's effects but effective nonetheless to show off what it could show off and i i like cheryl crow so it was a nice way of seeing her i hearing her i would put it um well first of all when i hear it it brings me back to high school it's it's a very it's one of those songs that you know immediately puts me in a time and place so i, I like the nice. song I think um, in terms of the Brosnan era, I think it's the second best of the four songs. Um, okay. I, I find World Is Not Enough, though I like Garbage, I find that it a little bit redundant to other songs. And I think, obviously, the Madonna song is atrocious. Uh, yeah. Golden Eye is a damn good song. Um, and Tina Turner singing it is good. And something about Sheryl Crow, there's something like just like pseudo country alternative rock with her where I don't uh-huh. buy, I don't buy her as the sultry lounge singer, you know? So like from, from my modern eyes, I don't buy it as her as a singer, but I do love the song just because of the connection I have with it. So I don't know if I can really analyze it without being a little biased, you know? I got you. I got you. Well, and, and, and for me, Tina Turner is, is the staple. And uh, harkens back to Goldfinger and Shirley Bassey from '64, um, and uh, I, I, I think they were trying to get away from that imagery uh, mm-hmm. while reintroducing. I mean, if you think about it, uh, we have Michael Kamen doing license, the music for *License to Kill*, and then Eric Serra for goldeneye that's a rough score uh, (laughs) that's a rough score i i like the i like what he brought to it what i don't like is that he couldn't do a bond theme they actually i don't remember who but they had to bring somebody in to do the bond theme um he hated he didn't like it he thought the bond theme was outdated and inappropriate and i'm like dude uh, all right. I mean, his yeah, score, for the fifth, Eric Sarah's score for the fifth element is one of my favorite scores ever yep. written, but mm, the golden eye one, that's a little rough. Well, the golden eye one is, is rough for yeah, me. That one is rough. Yeah. But, but bringing Barry esque elements with Arnold's twists, uh, mm-hmm. really opened my eyes to what 
um, the future of Bond music could be um, at, while holding true to tradition. And yes. uh, that's my favorite aspect of the film. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just, well, yeah, that, it's true. I think this turned out great, fellas. And uh, let's do this again sometime, huh? Thank you for having me. No, we're always happy to have you. Um, yeah, my final, final, final thoughts. Um, one is one of my favorite Bond lines is in this movie also um, when he dumps the guy into the um, I don't know how the physics of this would work, but because uh, I didn't know that uh, printing presses were this dangerous. But uh, when he puts the guy into the printing press and he says, they'll print anything these days. Great line. Um, you can also see in this movie, little little factoids, you can see Hugh Bonneville and Gerard Butler um, in this uh, film uh, in very small speaking roles. And uh, yeah, uh, also uh, Black Adam, terrible movie, but Pierce Brosnan, uh, an unbelievably good looking in that movie and awesome so good for him oh you know what uh ben before before we do our outro where can we find you where where, where are some places we can interact and, and uh and talk to you on the social media network on the carver digital network or whatever the hell they called it <laughs> it is the carver digital network um you can find me on um facebook at decalamer uh and on twitter uh also at the movie review um i'm not active much these days but uh, i do interact perfect well um follow us here at uh, cinephile his fit on twitter at at cinephile fit facebook cinephile his fit podcast and instagram at cinephile hissy fits also you can find me and don on letterbox we appreciate your captive audience and social media participation cinephile his fit is a 25 yl media podcast 25 years later just like this movie brought to you by ruminationsradionetwork.com thank you mitch please visit rate review and subscribe we are also on rotten tomatoes banana meter and we are charter members of the independent film critics of america if you enjoyed this show ruminations radio network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and interesting hosts our show and others are available on itunes spotify and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts